Let's worship God tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up a praise unto Him. Oh, He's worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Brother Stevenson, for the opportunity to, to share what I feel like God has uh, shared with me for this church. Um, I've been going to this church for since 2002, so about 19 years now, and it's just been a common thread that uh, you have men that, that walk in the spirit of prophecy. So often they come through this church, and it's been prophesied so many times that of, of the great things that this church is going to accomplish in this area. And I believe now more than ever before that that time is now that we as a people of this area are going to rise up and do those things that's been prophesied over us. And I'll tell you why. Because God has been in a preparation process of this church. He sent this church a spirit of praise. He sent this church a spirit of worship. And I believe right now this church is in a spirit of prayer like never before. And when you combine prayer with anything, that thing is going to get a lot better. It's going to get a lot more powerful. Hallelujah. So let's thank God for what He's doing for us this, right now. Uh, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 10. And uh, in verse 30, I'll, I'll read three, uh, verse 30 and 31. I'll read three separate verses. And you can be seated, then we'll go back to the start of Acts chapter 10 and, and talk about uh, what Cornelius and Peter were up to. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 30 says, And Cornelius said, and what he's doing, he's recounting his experience to Peter. He sent the three men out and, uh, you know, called Peter to him. And, he, and, Peter, and Cornelius said to Peter, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, it was an angel, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. And he goes on to tell Peter about what he'd done to get him there. And, and Peter opens his mouth and begins preaching, and he preaches the gospel of, of Jesus Christ unto uh, Cornelius and to all those that are there. And verse 44 said, While Peter yet spake these words, something that's never happened before in the history of humanity happened. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which, were, which heard the word, including Cornelius. Now what set him apart from everybody else that's had this experience is that he was one of us. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. So what I want to talk to us about for a, for a moment is the sound of your salvation. And you can be seated. So if we go back to uh, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read through Acts chapter 8 just, just to kind of set the scene that we dove in halfway through on, uh, on old Peter and Cornelius there. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He was a praying man. He was a giving man. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him 
and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Verse 7 says, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things unto him, he sent them to Joppa. And we all know what, after uh, Cornelius got his vision, the, uh, the, the sixth hour of the next day, Peter caught a vision from an angel. And we all know that he went, went up to the housetop to pray, and, and he got hungry, and he said, fix me a meal. And while they were fixing him a meal, he went into a trance, and from heaven there was lowered a, a sheet bound at all four corners that was lowered down to him. And, and on that sheet was all manner of unclean beasts that, that, that Peter and the Jews had been taught from, from birth, all you know, through their schooling, you don't eat these animals. You you, you don't break this law. You, you don't break this covenant which I which I gave to Moses so many years ago. You don't do that. And Jesus tells Peter, "It's it's okay. You can have it." And three times or two times, Peter said, "No, God, I've been taught that I shouldn't eat of what is unclean." And finally, on that third time, Jesus, God said unto Peter, "What I have cleaned." No man can call unclean. And I believe that that gave Peter the, the, the boldness and the auction. And, and, and along about the time when he got that revelation of, of what God wanted him to do with the, with the, uh, with the Gentile people, there come the three men that, that Cornelius had sent. And it was a, it was a God thing, a God meeting that, that, that Cornelius was praying and received a vision. And, and, and Peter had received a vision from an angel. And, and their, their two visions met. And something happened, something that had never happened before. Cornelius was praying what was what at the time was an impossible prayer. Something that he had never heard answered before. He didn't have a word of testimony saying, All you have to do, Peter, or Cornelius, is pray this way, and I'm going to meet you, uh, grant your need. He didn't have anybody to testify saying, you know, that same thing had happened to me so many years ago. God healed me, and now all you have to do is pray for your healing, and God can heal you too. Peter didn't have the word of his testimony by which we overcome. Yeah, it says that uh, in Hebrew, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. God never changes. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. But in Cornelius' case, it had never been done before. He prayed an impossible prayer. Matthew 17 and 20 says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed. He prayed an impossible prayer. But Jesus says, Nothing shall be impossible 
unto you. Even if you've never heard of it happening before, it'll not be po- it will not be impossible unto you. Even if you never heard anybody being healed of whatever you're dealing with, it will not be impossible unto you. Even if you don't know of anybody else that's ever prayed the same prayer that you're praying before, I'm here to tell you tonight that nothing, nothing shall be impossible as long as you have that faith in God. As long as you have faith in the one that says nothing is impossible. Oh, hallelujah. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree. He spoke to it and it withered away. And they said, How does the fig tree wither away just by you speaking to it? He said, But if you also shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Have you ever just faced a mountain? It just seemed absolutely impossible. That there was no way that you'd ever make it over. Just something standing in your way, standing between you and God. I'm just going to talk from my heart for a minute. I'm just going to speak about me because I'm a human and we all are. There's been mountains in my way. There's been mountains in my way that I've been too afraid and too cowardly to climb over. And those mountains have kept me from achieving what I know that I should have achieved in God. And I know that there's similar testimonies all over this house. There's things that have come up, popped up in our lives that have blocked us, that have hindered us from our full potential in God. And you look at that mountain and it seems so daunting and so tall and so incompassible. And you say, I'll never be able to get over that. Yes, I know that if I have faith, I can just move it out of the way. I can cast it into the sea. But you know what? My faith is kind of running low sometimes. And sometimes I just don't feel like I can look at my mountain. Come on, it's okay to say that I feel insufficient sometimes. Have you ever just thought, I'm just feeling kind of insufficient in what I know I should be in God because this mountain looks so big in my life? Come on, we're all people. It, it, it's, it's okay to say that, that there's some things in our life that it's hard to get over. It's okay to say there's some things in our life that's, that's blocking us from our full potential in God. Because it happens. It happens to the best of us. But let me tell you this, church. What is not okay is to leave it at that. What is not okay is to just settle at the base of the mountain. What's not okay is just to say, you know what, God? I'm going to accept my lot in life on this side of the mountain and never try to get over it. That's not okay. Because let me tell you something, church. We serve a God that's well able. We serve a God that's well able. We serve a God that's well able to lift to lift you up, to lift us up and put us over the top of it. All it need be to move it completely out of the way.
Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what takes so long sometimes? Why, why, why do we stare at a mountain for so long and know that God's able to get, get us over it or to move it out of the way? We make those prayers impossible prayers in our life. Cornelius prayed an actual impossible prayer. Women had never been answered before. But it took Cornelius some time. Sometimes things just take time to come about. It took a little time for Cornelius to get an answered prayer. But you know what Cornelius didn't do? He didn't pray just that prayer just one time. It said his prayers became a memorial unto God. It said he prayed always. That means even though Cornelius on day one of praying God, I want what I saw poured out on the day of Pentecost. I want that experience. God, I know that it's not for me, but I want it. I want it, Lord. I want it more than anything I want in my life. I, 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 I pray to you right now, but only right now, and I'm never going to pray about it again. Uh, that, that, that's not how Cornelius went about getting his answered prayer. It said he prayed always, and that his prayer went up as a memorial before God. That means that, you know, well, you know what a memorial is. It's like a, a, a statue or a, a tombstone, something to remember something by. Come on, I can just see in the throne room of heaven uh, God, God's trophy wall up there. And every time Cornelius would get on his knees and say, Oh God, I want this experience. God, I want an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Lord, even though I know it's not for me, I want it, God. I give you the praise for it. I give you the glory for it, oh Jesus. That prayer goes up. Ooh, it's a lot harder to get up than Brother Brown made it look. That prayer goes up to God's throne room and he takes that prayer and maybe he puts it on his wall and says, okay, Cornelius, I hear you, but the time is not yet. You hear me, church? Ooh, if you're praying for a lost loved one, keep praying that prayer. That's going up as a memorial for God. He's collecting those prayers. Maybe the time is not yet, but hear me when I tell you the time is coming as long as you don't stop praying. You see, Cornelius was doing his part. Just praying. Praying and giving. That, that, oh man, that's all it took for Cornelius. It, it's simple. Just pray and give. Ah, pray and have faith. Just, just pray and believe. It's easy to do. But at the same time, I, I heard somebody say one time, or, or maybe I thought it, they all run together. Oh, uh, Starting a prayer life is the easiest thing in the world to do. But maintaining a prayer life is the hardest thing in the world to do. Oh, I don't know how long Cornelius prayed for the Holy Ghost. I, I, I don't know. It don't tell it in there. I mean, it's uh, two, ten minus two is eight. Eight chapters worth at least. Because, you know, Acts 2.38, they 
received the Holy Ghost, and Cornelius was probably there. I don't know. But then some things happened along the way, and and Cornelius was in his house praying and 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 you know reminding God of, of what he gave. And there was that vision. And Cornelius said, Finally, just simply by praying and giving, my vision has come. I know how to receive my answer. But the flip side of that coin was Peter. All Cornelius had to do was keep the faith and keep praying. But now Peter had a little work on his part he had to get done. If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 16, it, in verse 15, you all know what it says. Uh, Jesus is, is grilling his disciples. Who do they say that I am? Some say you're Elias, you know, you're a prophet. Uh, uh, just to be honest with you, God, nobody knows who you are. You know, all the Jews are saying one thing, you're saying something else. Every, Everybody's confused, Lord. Oh, that, that's fine. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, answered and said, Thou art the Christ. He spoke through a lens of revelation of how he saw God. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ah, and he got that revelation of who Jesus was. And Jesus confirmed that in the very next scripture, and he said, Blessed art thou, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father has given you this revelation of who I am. And I say unto thee, you're Peter, and upon this rock, the revelation of who I am, that's the rock. The revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The revelation that He is the one true and living God. The revelation that Jesus Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in whom we live and breathe and move and how I have our being. That Jesus is not just some another member and some secondary member of a Godhead, but that Jesus Christ is God and God alone upon that rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. And that began Peter's preparation to preach to Cornelius. (laughs) He received his preparation through a revelation of who Jesus was. Come on, if you're praying a prayer, if you've been praying a prayer for some number of years or some number of months or some number of days, you've got to know who Jesus is. You've got to know Him through the power of His revelation. So Cornelius' preparation was a lot more simple than Peter's. All Cornelius had to do was pray and believe and give and wait. Thank goodness for the process that prepared Peter to walk into Cornelius' house and say, all you have to do is believe upon that one true and living God. And as he spoke, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That prayer that Cornelius had prayed, that mountain that Cornelius couldn't get over, that faith that he needed to move that mountain out of the way, finally met up with a preparation that Peter had through his revelation of who God was. 
And he was able to move that mountain. So let's go back and talk about the mountain. Let's, let's all stand. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up quickly now that you're standing. Jesus didn't say that the mountain would disappear. He didn't say that the mountain would vanish. He didn't say that it would go away. He said that by our faith, we could take that mountain and cast it into the sea. So, yeah, the mountain's still there, but now it's covered with water. And there's one thing I know about water, that as long as it's high enough over the top of that mountain, and as long as I stay in the boat, I can make it over that mountain. And this is where I want to bring us tonight. There's only one place in the Bible that specifically mentions a mountain being in the sea. Like, not Jesus saying you can put it there, but that it's actually there. Genesis 7, 7 and 17 says, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark. And it was lift up above the earth, and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the, water, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high hills that were under the whole, he, under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. And the mountains were covered. Now when it says fifteen cubits upward the waters prevailed, uh, some people say that using primitive sounding technology, that's the shallowest that they found the water over the, over the tallest mountain. Fifteen cubits. Why fifteen cubits? It just seems like an arbitrary number. Genesis 6 and 15 says, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, and the breadth of it fifty cubits. And the height of the ark from the top to the bottom is 30 cubits. So, and this is just my simple mind, if the ark's 30 cubits high, and the mountain is 15 cubits deep, huh, that means that at a minimum, God is twice as big, twice as big as that thing that was keeping us away from Him. Huh. And here we are in the ark. And it's raining. Uh, Just let me be Noah for a minute. I spent close to a hundred years building this boat. Never built one before. I have no assurance that this thing's going to float. I mean, it's way bigger than what I imagined. 
I have no assurance other than my faith in God and my adherence to God's plan and how He taught me how to build that ark. That's the only two things that assures me that this boat's going to float. And I, I can just imagine looking over the side of that ark as the rain starts to fall and the waters start collecting around it. And the waters begin to come up. Not floating yet. Waters are getting deep. God, I hope you know what you're doing because I'm in a mess right now. I don't know how to get out of it except by you. I have faith in you, Lord. And I've stuck to your plan. Oh, but God, it's getting deep down there. And halfway up the ark, the waters came. I don't know what the draft was. The draft is the part of the boat that un- st- sticks under the water. Learned that on Google on the way to church. It's called the draft. I thought it was freeboard. That's the part above the water. I don't know how much draft the, the ark had. Maybe it was halfway. Maybe it was 15 cubits. I don't know. It don't matter. All that matters is the water had to get deep enough. The situation had to get desperate enough that the only way out... was Genesis 7 and 17. And the waters increased. And at some point, some point when it seemed hopeless, some point when you started questioning your faith in God and you started questioning His plans, the ark bare up. (laughs) And was lifted up on the water. Now, I've never been in a wooden ship on the ocean. But I have been in an old wooden house that nobody's gone in for a long time. You know what it does when you walk around? It makes all kind of racket. Creaking, popping. You you think the house is falling in. And I don't know how long the ark was there. It said that Noah was 500 years old when his sons were born. And then it said that he was 600 years old or somewhere thereabout. Just, so just say for, I don't know, you could probably study it and find out. I guess I should have done that. Just say 75 years it took him to build the ark. I'm sure it took him a long time. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just cutting wood and throwing it down as God told him. But could you imagine 450 feet long, 100 feet wide, 80 feet tall. Could you imagine the sound that that ark made when that water finally got deep enough to bear it up? It had been sitting dormant for so many years. I would just imagine that the sound that it made probably would have made me nervous. It probably sounded like the Walls were going to fall down. It sounded like the roof was going to cave in. All the popping and cracking and and then banging and whatever sound it would make. I mean, you could just imagine it. And then on top of all that, it didn't just come like, 
It didn't just come up. I mean, I'm sure that it was per, probably pretty balanced, but even still, maybe there was a wave that come, and maybe the bow come up first, and everything was shifted over here, and then maybe another wave rushed under the stern, and everything else was thrown over there. Oh, for all no one knew, his world was in turmoil. All he could hear is the sound of that ark as it raised up and feel the unbalance and the shaking in his world as it was being tossed to and fro. And I'm sure the humanity of Noah said, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. But the fact of the matter is, the chaos and the sound and all the confusion I'm sure was taking place. The animals hollering. And, and Lord knows his wife was hollering. I hope you knew what you was doing when you built this ark, Noah. All that just bombarding Noah's senses. The sounds and the, and the confusion. Little did Noah know that what sounded like his world caving in was actually the sound of his salvation. So listen to me tonight, church. If you feel like your world's caving in, and you feel like there's nowhere else to go, and you feel like the waters are rising all around you, and you feel like that, that your world is, is, is being disheveled, tossed to and fro, and, 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 and nothing seems to be going right, and, and, and nothing seems to be going the way God planned it, and, and you prayed and you stuck to God's plans, and Lord, I prayed for Him for so many years, and He's still not here, and now look where He's at, it'll never happen. Oh, what sounds like the sound of destruction is actually the sound of your salvation. Ah, and there's a God here tonight that's stepping in the midst of your chaos ah, in your unbalanced world that feels like it's being tossed to and fro. And he's standing at the front of this place with arms wide open. And he's saying, come on aboard. I've got the door open for you tonight. That door, ha, the door to somebody's salvation is open tonight. God's opened the door to somebody's salvation in this house. And just like He did on the ark, He's opened it for a season. And soon and very soon, that door's going to slam shut. And nobody else is going to get in. And nobody else is going to get out. But God is here tonight with arms outstretched. And His mercy is here. I invite you tonight to come pray. Come lay your heart out to God upon the altar. 